yeah, you're going to have a wonderful time. It's uh, the Las Vegas Convention Center is a very different setup than New Orleans. But uh, at the uh, New Orleans Convention Center, you've got that infinitely long hallway where you're walking yeah. <laughs> like a mile to get back to the data village. And it's yeah. a very different setup from that. It's pretty cool. So um, you're one of the co-leaders of the Nashville Tug, right? Yes. Okay, cool. So is that um, who else is on leadership there? Uh, you have Jim Daher. Yeah, I'm saying it wrong, but you got Jim, and then you have Brandon Brewer, and I good God, I'm butchering names right now. And then you have um, Eric Howard on there, and then I think there's one more other person on there as well. Oh wow, you've got a really nice leadership. Yeah, we have a pretty pretty good group. Yeah, I was. Uh, I missed you at the last one. It was. Uh, I think the first one I've attended in a while, and I was presenting with Chantilly. Which let me tell you, yeah. I didn't know Chantilly would also be presenting. Um, which I, I think you know. Like I am a massive fan of Chantilly Jagernoff. Oh, really? But also, if I had known I had to follow her, I would have <laughs> been super freaked out and intimidated in advance because. I saw her present at uh, TC 2019 in Vegas. She they they gave her she had the triple size room mm-hmm. um, for her templates presentation, and at the end of it was mobbed on stage with like at least fifty people all coming up. Like normally after a thing, you see like maybe six eight to eight people yeah. come up and they form an orderly line and they want to say, "Oh, I like this," or "I wanted to ask you a question." It's like no, it was like she was like. Chantilly Jagger like it's you yeah. know just people just I'm like holy cow like I've never seen this kind of reaction it was yeah. wild yeah no, Chantilly is great man she, she's really great um yeah and her stuff is just amazing like the thought process and just she knows the product in and out honestly like she's really really good and um just knows the behind the scenes of how to create and how to tell a story and all that stuff yeah she really um I, I've always appreciated her presentations because she walks you through her thought process of like why she's doing what she does before she gets into the methodology of how like all too mm-hmm. often things are kind of one or the other. Um, like someone's like, hey, I'm going to show you some technical stuff, but not necessarily teach you like when to use this or whatever. But for her, she, she'll walk you through the entire thought process from like, hey, I was told I need to, you know, we're looking for a project. I ask these kinds of questions. I propose these kinds of things. You know, it's like the entire project summarized for her and just brilliant. Uh, so you you also work at Lovelytics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've always wondered this, and, you know, this is an informal conversation. How big is Lovelytics? Like, there's so many people from the data fam that I see working there, like Eric Bolish, you, Chantilly. Like, I mean, is it 50 employees? Is it 100? Like, uh, we're less than 100 but we're growing as well. Wow. So I think we might be 60, 80 in the area. That's impressive. Um, from, from the data visualization side, you know, there's that, but we also have different elements. Like we have machine learning, predictive analytics portion of it. We have a Databricks portion of it as well. Uh, geospatial, data engineering, like we're uh, like project management and all types of stuff. So it's not just data fam or Tableau specific, like there's different, pockets in here as well so we're, we're pretty we're growing at a pretty rapid rate actually i mean and you can tell that with you if you even if you just pop open your twitter you've got like five or six different tools listed i mean beyond you know data visualization where you've got at least tableau and power bi um you're also using ultrix and google data studio and other products as well yeah. um what's your like or 
what were you kind of like before you began working there? How many of those had you used previously? And then you sort of picked up in your new role. Yeah. So the first one is always been an iterative process. I'll say that. So the first one I ever picked up was Excel, like learning how to just create pivot tables and just learning how to analyze data and doing that. And then after that, I learned SQL. Um, and then I realized like in the position I was in, I was responsible for telling a client's story and doing it in PowerPoint in the fashion. So you created a visualization and you do the macros and you tie it to your Excel chart and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, this, there has to be a better thing, <laughs> better way of doing this. And um, I went to the first event and it was how to create a dashboard in an hour. And the tool at the time was Power BI. So it was the first tool I ever got exposure to. And I was like, wow, this is really easy. So coming from Microsoft Excel and then that, I was like, wow, I could really connect to this and it became easier. So then that's when I knew I wanted to do I want to be a BI developer. Like I, I knew I wanted to get into data visualization, BI, like I wanted to connect different data sources together so people can tell their own story. So then it was just opportunity after opportunity um, where I wasn't necessarily, or I won't say afraid, but like the opportunity presented itself. So I'm always going to go for it. So that began the exposure to different tools. So with that um, was Looker, Yellowfin, Google Data Studio, Amazon QuickSight, and then eventually Tableau. And then that's where, when I got in Tableau um, as a developer, I was probably about two, two and a half years. So that's when I learned about the data fan community and everything. Um, but all the while, still kept a pulse in Power BI, what was going on, just because that was the first one. So I think had it switched, like say I did Tableau first, um, I would have been in Tableau. So I always kept a pulse on that and had the different ones. And then, you know, maybe these other ones might not be, you know, as present. But it's always, I always kept those two just in my wheelhouse. I think that's really uh, that's a really interesting journey. Like I see a lot of people going Tableau to Power BI, but I'm sure there's just as many people going in the other direction. And not that you use one exclusively or the other. You're using what the tool for the job is. You know, I'm sure you have different clients that hey, this is the thing we use, and you're having to pivot. I know um, at my work we've we're primarily Tableau on our team, but we've got other mm -hmm. teams that use Power BI and other tools as well. So it's a it's rare to live in a world where it's it's just as easy as like I can always use my preferred tool. And I've tried to explain to people like, oh, you're a Tableau person. Like, well, yeah, Tableau is like my primary tool, but right. it's like saying, well, you can't draw with a pen. You only know how to do it with a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, I, look, I mean, if I had to pick up Power BI, I could, I would have to learn a bunch of the tricks, but data visualization is my core, <laughs> my yeah. core skill. And if I can do it in one thing, I can do it in another, or as, as David Mamet uh, wrote in the movie, the edge, what one man can do, another man can do. So like if, uh, if primordial people could figure out how to kill a bear, then Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins in the <laughs> wilderness could also figure out how to kill a bear. Like, yeah, you know, what do they have that we don't? We can figure this out. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the mentality is always, you know, the concepts, right? How can I tell a story? Who's my audience? Um, what would they use it for? Problem solving like that doesn't go away regardless of the tool you're using, like those main concepts. Yeah, if you you know have an understanding of it, then the tool just becomes literally a tool. It's like, what do you have in your toolkit to um, articulate that to your audience? Definitely. I know for me, um, prior to coming to JLL, where I work now, I spent 13 years at St. Jude, and a lot of that was in BI, although originally I was an IT developer, um, and SQL was my primary data tool. So I began there, and I never actually had any like real formal training, so... I, my SQL skill is probably intermediate at best because I never developed best practices. I was always 
you know, sort of cludging my way to a correct answer, you know, as best mm -hmm. as I can, muddling through. Um, and then uh, at JLO, we have, now have Alteryx. So while I still do SQL Sum, it's a much lighter lift because I have this, you know, more powerful tool that allows for just such a greater degree of uh, data manipulation. It's it's really been a revelation to me. I, I got my course cert within a couple months and I'm working on my, uh, my next level up. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I... I, at my previous company where I was at with Ryder, I got exposure to Alteryx there and I got the, what's the, the entry level certification that you can have. Um, golly, I cannot, I can't think of the name of it, but I got that first one. So learning to your point, like learning this tool and not having to write everything in SQL, like some of the automation and stuff that comes with Alteryx and the other, these other data tools, even um, Tableau Prep and other stuff is just makes like much easier to get the data aggregated and pivoted and in a format that you need um, it makes your data visualization process so much faster. It really does. And it really becomes like, there's so many different ways you could complete the same, you know, come to the same answer that it becomes a matter of if you're a beginner, you can get to the answer this way. But as you become more sophisticated, you realize faster, more elegant solutions that don't take as many steps and take less yeah. processing time. So it's really kind of fun. It, it makes a puzzle out of, you know, your sort of your data modeling rather than, uh, you know, writing uh, is extremely long code. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's been one of the focus for me. Um, as I was talking about earlier, I have all these, you know, BI tools experience, right? How do I tell a story of visualization? Um, but for me, I'm, I'm actually starting to focus more on the back end. So I'm trying to learn more of the Python, more of connecting the APIs, more data engineering, uh, because if I can get it in a format, if I can pull it myself, one, if I can connect to an API or whatever data source I need, um, and then get it modeled out and clean, and then I can aggregate it in what I need it for, for the visualization, you know, it just becomes, I won't say a one-stop shop, but it gets you closer to, you know, what the requirements are from the, the customer to, all right, how do I even have data for it? And if you have an understanding of that whole pipeline, like, I think it's just really good and it makes for a better experience. Totally. And I know in my case, I've even, I've used it at times just because the scheduling functionality was yeah. more robust than my Tableau server. Like with Tableau server, I was more limited and I had a client that's like, well, I really only want this to run between the third and the 24th. And, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, so I can't schedule on Tableau <laughs> server. So I'd better uh, uh, pull my data through all tricks and then push it to Tableau that way. Have you, have you done anything with uh, Tableau prep? Have you done anything? With you know, I've, I've never touched it. I've, I've watched Jared Flores doing his 100-day challenge with Tableau Prep. And I everything. follow him. His stuff is great. Like, he's really good and, and gets a lot of good stuff um, out of there. Like, I follow some of his, like, his tips and tricks and stuff he posts. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really good way of thinking about that. It's, it's really great because not only was it a great learning opportunity for him and sort of self-discovery, and but, you know, doing it in public, showing other people, hey, this is my progression of what I'm working on, and also serving as a way for other people to see stuff and learn. And it's it's really cool that people are willing to put themselves out there and do some of that stuff out there rather than just yeah. do it privately. Yeah, it takes like... It takes courage to post what you're working on and just to post like the missteps and the mishaps and uh, wherever you're stuck at and all this stuff. Like it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So I definitely commend anybody who does that. Um, definitely. Yeah. So in my presentation, um, I guess Monday, because it's the same week. Yeah, it's a weird week uh, when I presented the National <laughs> Tug. Part of that presentation is me talking about uh, public work I used to do that I wasn't actually passionate about. And how like sometimes if you're pursuing something just because everyone else is doing it and you're kind of wanting to be involved, 
sometimes you're not going to be producing the same quality as you would if it were something you actually cared about. So I'm like, these are ones I made that clearly I'm bored on because I'm trying to find a way to be interested in it by the way I designed it. And it's yeah. it's like, you look at the, like, this is not, not good. And I, I'm embarrassed by it. And then others are like, this is something I was actually interested in. And you can tell by the way I made it because I, you know, was more interested in the subject matter and I wasn't just doing it to complete it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, so we we're talking about certs for a minute. Um, what is the hardest cert you've taken? Maybe the weirdest process, the most circuitous or, or what have you? Like, I mean, I know there are different levels, but like sometimes the process of the certification itself is the painful part. So the hardest one for me, um, and this was more so just the timing of it and, and switching my brain, um, was a Tableau consultant one. So that's the one we we all have at Lovelytics. We're all certified Tableau consultants, and you know I need that in order to partner with Tableau. Um, but when I started, I was coming still. I was coming from Power BI, so that was my you know I I was working full time in Power BI, but just keeping a pulse on Tableau, doing stuff in Tableau Public, so on and so forth. So I had to switch my brain to Tableau. So like the concepts of the DAX and everything that was there, and then all the altered stuff. Like I had to shut that part off really like focus on tableau and i probably I, my wife is probably an expert with tableau at that point because i was watching all the youtube videos studying all the guys you know i had to catch up so i put a lot of work into it so you know i think that was probably like a week turnaround from when i started to taking that test maybe a week week and a half so like intensive like 10 days of just being like super focused on this goal like obsessive about it um that would say from that perspective that was a harder one because like i just i had to pivot really fast to get in test mode and knowledge mode and subject matter X mode and some stuff I, you know, I didn't necessarily um, knew it was out. I was like, oh, okay, how do I figure this out? So um, that that was the hardest one. I I am always terrified by taking certs. Like even if it's one of those situations where like it's very low stakes or something. And it's funny because I've never taken a cert I haven't passed so far. I say so yeah. far because there's always a chance, but it's a, the the process always puts me so on edge. And um, the most uncomfortable certification for me was the Tableau specialist, which I actually got a free pass to take after I think Tableau 2019 or something. They gave mm -hmm. away like a thousand free passes. And uh, at the time I was working at St. Jude and they weren't really sort of investing in certification or anything, unless you like really said you wanted it. Like yeah. I'd really like to get certified. There wasn't like a reason to do it internally. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you can have that for yourself, but it's not really going to do you anything. So uh, my my friend David and I both got these free passes and we're like, okay, cool. We'll uh, we'll take the certification. So um, the Tableau certification process was always kind of uncomfortable for me because you have to have that like live proctor that's watching you the mm -hmm. whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so like we uh, we get two conference rooms right next to each other. And these are like a modern conference room with a full glass wall and white, uh, like just white walls for like uh, whiteboards. So he's in one, I'm in the next one over. He's taken an exam before, so he's familiar with the process and I haven't, so I'm, I'm extra on edge. So we both start taking it and, you know, it's weird to me because like they made me like turn around so my back's to the glass or whatever. I guess they were worried someone would be like holding up notes with like answers, which is crazy <laughs> because it's an, it's an exam where you can Google things. So I yeah. could just like, I can't have a piece of paper, but I could save something to Google Keep and just pull that up and read off of there. So it's like, uh, I don't understand that. I mean, I didn't, I don't right. see the point cause I could just Google stuff, but like yeah. I finish and I am like, oh, hey, I pass. And like, I walk out and I go look and David's not his thing. I'm like, okay, but I have like a voicemail message from him and a voicemail message from HR. I'm like, 
that's weird. And like, I go back to my desk and it's like, someone's like, yeah, David got called to HR. And I'm like, no. And I got called to HR. Like, did we do something? Like, so I'm like, what's, what's going on? Like, all, all I know is I'm in a certification. It's like, I'm, you know, I was probably in there. I, I stretched it out the two hours because I wanted to double check my answers. He was done in an hour. Yeah. And both of us were called to HR separately. And it had nothing to do with us. It was like there was some higher up that someone had like, like said something about, and they were going around grilling everyone within three levels of them to ask. Oh no! Person <laughs> ever done anything or said anything? And I'm like, oh thank God! Like I thought I was getting like fired or something. Like the day I took my certification exam. So it's you're like, just already on edge, and oh, then yeah. you're like HR. <laughs> and that's the thing for me. It's like when I when I get anxious, like it spreads into everything else, you know. So it's like I'm anxious about the exam, but as soon as I see a call from HR, it extends the call from HR, and it's like it sort of is insidious and creeps in everything else. I never actually knew I had anxiety until around COVID. Like, really, I guess I was always like managing it at some level. Although I do remember earlier in my career when a manager at one point was like do you need like a Xanax or something right now? You seem really keyed up about this. And I, I thought that was normal, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, between the, the miracles of modern medicine and sort of recognizing that it was a problem that I had, I was sort of better, better able to understand it and deal with yeah. it. But yeah, it was, it was a bizarre day. That was not fun. Wow. I, um, I had, I want to say similar because I didn't have HR, um, but I had an experience with the DAX 101, which is Power BI's equivalence to, um, you know, knowing their, their product and taking their, their tests. But live proctor, so you got to do your license, you got to show your license, your ID, clear your table, nothing behind you. Um, my wife walked in and I was like, no, I'm taking a test. Like, no, no, <laughs> don't walk in. And so they ain't caught there. But then my internet went out. So like in the middle of me verifying like my documents, I'm already on edge. So I pay for it out of pocket. So it was like, oh my God, come on. Like what's going on? So I was able to, and I was probably like 10 minutes early. I wasn't early as I normally would have been. And it was like Saturday morning. So I think I booked it for like 8 a.m. or something like that. So I was already up and just wired. And I just remember that happening. And I was like, oh my God, I got to just verify my documents. It wasn't taking it. But luckily I got there and then the proctor and stuff was, was nice. But um, when I think, like I look around, like I stare off into space because I like look at answers and like I'm just not looking at my screen. Yeah, <laughs> just looking up, looking in around. And I remember the proctor like IM'd me. She's like, look at your screen, don't look around. I was like, oh, come on. Like I'm not even talking to myself. I'm not even doing anything. Like it was, it was crazy. I try to explain to my wife because she she's an attorney, so she doesn't understand this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I didn't drink anything the whole time because I was afraid I have to go there. Like they won't let you do that. I'm like, they won't let me like, like they, they won't let me clear my throat too often. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like you start doing that. I'm, they're like, oh, are you talking to someone? Like I have allergies. Like, give me a break, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. There's no thinking out loud. There's no like, hmm, I wonder. No, that's wrong. Like there's none of that. Like you got to keep all that stuff internal. And it's interesting because like, depending on the reason you're getting the certification. So I know some people get certifications because they're hoping like, maybe this will help me get a job and it might. Um, and, and other people get certifications because it's sort of an expectation of their job. So you and I are both consultants and yeah. us having certifications help justify to our clients. Hey, this person knows what they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, you and I are both probably in our current jobs because we were doing stuff in public 
and that demonstrated both our competence and also that we get along with other people and are not a jerk to work with, which is really one of like the big things in employment. I think a lot of people don't take into consideration. Like if you sort of, you know, if if you were to see someone online that like produces really good work, but has like sort of a very toxic presence, like if that person applied for a job, like you would look at that and it's like, is this person going to be difficult to work with? Like, I I remember uh, when I worked at St. Jude, uh, when I was in IT, the the IT boss had all these books he liked. And one of them was called the No A-Hole Rule. And it was like, basically, it's it's better to have someone that's like a B-level employee, but as a good team player and collaborates Mm -hmm. and and helps other people when they're in need versus like your superstar who's like a a diva kind of others. (laughs) And I'm like, well, yeah, clearly. I mean, that doesn't translate into sports always, but like, you know, it's, uh, but I mean, look, the team players that are, that are elite athletes do better than the, uh, you know, the, the solo artists. I mean, not always, but usually. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever like I like I mentor and coach and teach and stuff and I talk to younger people, especially trying to get into this space, um, I always try and put an emphasis on like doing it the right way. Right. You you want to, you know, be great at your craft. You want to put a lot of effort into it and energy as well. But you also want to be a team player. Like You don't want to just be the one because there's no way you know everything about whatever product you're working on. Like you're always going to need help somewhere. So if you're like super arrogant or super cocky or just super like, I know this all, you will get humble at some point <laughs> in, in this career. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. It's like as if you think you know everything, you're going to get knocked on a peg or two. Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of the nice things because it's hard to really have gatekeepers in the sense that, you know, I, I knock Edward Tufty a lot because he often says things that are that feel silly or foolish. Um, you know, like uh, the other day, he was like uh, pie charts and donut charts are for airheads. And I'm like, there's a lot of utility to parts to a whole reporting. And a lot of people understand these. Now, we understand that I've seen a thousand bad ones, but that yeah. doesn't mean there's not good applications for him. So it's like, but it's it's Twitter. I mean, Twitter. Yeah. You know, with all the Twitter news this past week, Twitter in its current state exists mostly for people to dunk on each other. Yeah. It's like, and the crazy thing about it is like, you can get dunked on by someone on the other side of the world. You've never, like, you have never mentioned to at all. (laughs) Like, it's, that's... It, one of the nice features they've added is the uh, control who can comment on this. So it's like at least like I noticed that like, I thought that was really cool. Can comment on this, you know. It's so you can keep the conversation to the people that you're wanting to talk to, and I'm like that makes a lot of sense. Like I think yeah. that's one of the more sensible choices. Now, did you ever see the downvote button on Twitter? I think I've heard people talk about it or something because like there was a point where you could like vote, but then that came off. But did it go away? Yeah, so they piloted it. So it's crazy, but um, there's a reporter for the Washington Post that reached out to me called Tatum Hunter because um, when it launched, they were doing like a stealth pilot for it. Mm-hmm. And one day I saw like a down arrow on my thing and I retweeted it. It's like, but it's only on comments. It's not on posts. And I was like, hey, it's really weird. They've implemented like a downvote button, kind of like Reddit. And she must have seen my thing. And I she asked to talk to me for like the Washington Post <laughs> No about kidding. like the what I thought about the downvote button and my general feeling was like Twitter already has a lot of ways to not see or deal with the things you don't want to you can block or mute people you can um edit out topics you don't want showing up in your feed. I mean it's not perfect but yeah. it's like and also you already have a downvote button it's called being ratioed like when your comment section is five times what your likes were it's like that was a downvote you know yeah <laughs> 
but yeah, it's a, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's Twitter, man. It's, it's what it is. It's a crazy space. I, um, some be like the oh back in my day, but like I remember when <laughs> when when it came out, um, and I just remember it being just a totally different. It was it used to be fun, like it used to be a fun place to really connect and and talk to people and everything. But now, you know, another thing I stress actually with young people as well is it, it is a tool that you can leverage and use depending on how you you have more control than what you think of it. So if there's something or a hashtag you want to participate in or something, you know, where you truly can get a community outreach, like you can use it for good. You don't necessarily have to gravitate to some of the negative piece that is there or some of the competition or all the other stuff that comes along with it. Like you can, there is still good with this particular tool. Um, and that's that's the focus that I personally try and have. I don't always succeed, but then I also try to um, spread as well to the people under me that I'm trying to help mentor. I think that's a super healthy way to look at it. I mean, it's uh, I remember a couple of years ago when my mother-in-law heard I was going to Las Vegas for the conference or whatever. She's like, Las Vegas. Like she was kind of like, you know, like <gasps> clutching her pearls. I'm like, I, I, you've never been. So I don't think you understand. But Las <laughs> Vegas is exactly what you want it to be. Las yeah. Vegas is a blank slate that if you are the kind of person that wants to go get in trouble, gamble and like, you know, get sleazy. Las yeah. Vegas is that. If you want yeah. to go see shows, have fine dining and, you know, just stuff like that, Las Vegas is that. And Twitter, in many ways, is the same thing. It's kind of what you put into it. Now, I mean, we all see the examples of someone that made like what they thought was an innocuous comment and then 10,000 people pile on. That stuff yeah. definitely happens. But generally, if you're trying to put positivity out there or do, you know, do your own thing. I mean, and the data fam is usually a pretty good example of this. We're not perfect, but usually yeah. it's an example of people trying to uplift other people's work and be collaborative and do stuff like that. Um, and I wanted to say, uh, I don't know if you follow Steven Shoemaker, but he's kind of pivoted lately. So usually he was like talking mostly about data. Mm. And then lately he's gotten a lot more philosophical and that's sort of like an intentional choice of his. He's like, you know, I was kind of thinking about what I want to talk about and you know, what's important to me. And I don't always want to talk about data. This is kind of what I want to do. And I'm like, right. you know, that's a good choice. It's like, do what, you know, matters to you and the people that, you know, are sort of drawn to that will respond. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I think, I think um, you're a product of what you put out. So if you yourself are happy with what you're putting out, the natural energy will come back to you. And the people that are supposed to connect to you or see what you're doing, like they will. So it's, it's again, ultimate choices that you're making and, you know, putting that out there and you decide, like, this is what I want to do. Then naturally, people that want to connect with what you're doing, it'll just happen. That's just how, you know, the way the world is sometimes. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I was looking at your Tableau public portfolio. I don't know if you have a similar portfolio or anything or Power BI, but I was checking out, like, uh, you revisit a lot of topics uh, fairly regularly. So sort of like black owned businesses and colleges, um, Nashville, sort of local stuff um, and some stuff like, you know, Kobe Bryant in there. I mean, but yeah. that's Kobe Bryant, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. so like what is when you're thinking about working on a project, like, do you have a bunch of like a, like a backlog of ideas or is it more like you see something going on like the Dubois challenge and you're like, you know, I've got an idea that I think I'd like to give a shot or like, how does the process go for you when you want to do something that's like a public facing project? Yeah. So for me, um, the biggest driver for me always is somehow can I make an impact in what I'm doing? Like, I don't want to do anything just because. Um, and now 
previously I would just do it because I was trying to learn a tool. And for me, the easiest way to learn in is learning on data set that I'm comfortable with. So everything was sports related, typically basketball, because I play basketball. I grew up, I'm a big fan, big Kobe Bryant fan. And, you know, the, it's an easier use case for me to understand versus doing some manufacturing or, you know, some oil data, something I'm not, not necessarily familiar with. So I always do something that's relevant for me. And then from there, um, backlog ideas. So if I'm if I'm heavily focused in data visualization, then I will, you know, what are some good data visits out there? Like what's something that could make an impact? Um, and what you brought up was black businesses. So one thing, you know, there's not a lot of public data visualizations or any public information. So it's like, how can I scrape this data within national specifically and put that out there? Same thing for black therapists, right? There's not a lot of black therapists uh, databases or compositories where people can come and access it quickly. So it's like, how can I create this and use this and maybe embed it to a website or something, whatever. But knowing what I know, like I just, how can I combine this information that's relevant for people to use? So now that's kind of, not kind of, that is the goal is like, if I'm going to create something, like how can someone actually take this and use it and make it applicable to whatever they're doing at that moment? So, but I do have backlog ideas. I got some ideas in my head. Um, as well. And I just, I need to put time into them. And I think you can see that with a lot of your stuff. Like I've got your, your work up right now on screen. Um, I'm looking at like, for example, your, um, uh, your black owned restaurants. And also one I really enjoyed, which is definitely personal to you is your baby registry. So this one has quite a few hits. Is this something that you actually sent out for people to use to, uh, find items? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So, was, again, is is usable, is accessible um, because the use case for that, right, we have three different registries. We have Target, Amazon, um, and Bye Bye Baby. And it's like I can send you individual links or I can send you this dashboard to where you click on it and you go exactly to the URL and the open item and you can buy it from there. So it's like how can I combine just all this information at once that's usable and if I'm treating, you know, individual as a stakeholder, as a client, like how can I make this more accessible and more easy for the next person? That way we get more gifts. So if you can see what's in front of you, you see the buzz and everything, it benefits my family and my daughter, which it actually really did. So that was one. Um, and then the use case for that as well is like, how can I scrape this information? So, you know, how can I get this from the actual websites itself into a usable fashion to where people can actually use it? So again, learning stuff, um, based on ideas and, and applying it in real world scenarios for me, that's how I just pick stuff up. Yeah. I, I appreciate that one in particular because, uh, you know, data is something we often think of in a work environment where the people that you're providing it to typically have asked for it. You're not, you're not usually particularly if you're consultant generating something on the fly saying, yeah. I think you'd like this, you know, it's not like when the chef's like, Oh, I made this for you surprise. You know, it's, it's, you're doing something because you were asked in this case. You're making something not only for people who didn't ask, but are probably unfamiliar with the idea in general. Yeah. And you're sending it to, you know, grandma, your aunt from out of town, your yeah. friend down the street, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So you're getting a real world example of how sort of lay people would interact with your stuff. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I notice you're you have a sort of modern design aesthetic in the sense that you're using a lot of sort of rounded containers with yeah. drop shadows and that kind of stuff. So do you have templates that you work off of when you're doing that typically? 
Uh, the template would be Chantilly's YouTube video that uh, she created on modern design. So typically I, I, I do look for her for inspiration. I look at her modern design and, you know, kind of stuff out there in, in the public, but I don't necessarily have a template. It kind of just depends on the idea that I'm going with. Um, I did use Figma. So I do have a Figma template, I should say that for the background, uh, particularly for those. So, but beyond that, in regards to like, kind of where I want the table, the chart and everything. It, it just depends on what I'm trying to show in that moment. Really cool. I, was, is Chantilly sort of one of your major inspirations or who would you say has sort of along your journey been different people that you've looked to in terms of either guidance or inspiration? Yeah, so I, I'm big on mentorship. Um, from a Tableau perspective, Chantilly is big sis that's my mentor that is i go to her for you know a lot of things so that's that's really that's that's my good friend that's my sister um so i go to her for a whole lot so from that perspective yeah that that's there from power bi side um i have three key three key mentors that have literally shaped me from when i met them probably like six seven years ago uh patrick leblanc uh he if you look at the guy in the cube channel he's the guy who does the videos for them um patrick's my big bro man like he's literally the one who instilled the confidence in me that i could do this like i for the longest he's like you should speak you should talk you should do this and i was like i don't know what i do i'm gonna do i have no idea i don't know what i'm doing he's like yeah just do it and he would just you know constantly put that in my head so and even now like i reach out to him like hey i got this idea that i'm stuck on how would you approach this and also, the friendship as well. It's not necessarily always businesses, you know, there's some personal element there. So Patrick's my guy, Jonathan Stewart. Uh, what's his sequel? Dreads. I think that's his Twitter. I might be messing up. Sorry, bro, if you hear this. Uh, <laughs> but no, Jonathan Stewart, Power BI community. He's a data visualization guy there. Um, has a session where he went globally and presented and stuff like that. But um, again, another person looked like me, black guy as well. And it was just visually seeing someone doing this in their element, but then taking the time out to mentor and shape me. Um, and again, I go to him with any questions, data visualization, personal stuff, so on and so forth. Um, and then Ryan Wade um, works for, ah, you're going to yell at me, but Ryan, this is my guy, another one, um, Power BI as well. But he does a lot of stuff in R and Python and bringing that stuff in. So as I'm starting to learn more of the back end, he's helping me understand kind of machine learning and modeling and, you know, some of the, the more back end stuff. And he spent time with me probably about a month ago on a Saturday, just like, all right, here's what I would do. Here's my thought process on it, so on and so forth. So um, again, another person that looks like me, but all three of those men, like they just have spent time and invested time in me. And it's just, it's super invaluable. And even now, like I can call them up if I got any questions. And I think that definitely has helped me out in my career. I mentorship is such an important thing. I've both mentored and been mentored. So I, Steve Wexler is kind of my unofficial current mentor. Like I, whenever I have uh, career thoughts and stuff, I reach out to him. In fact, yeah. um, I remember it was the month before COVID in uh, 2020 when he had come to Memphis, it was actually the last Memphis tug before it uh, was an early casualty of COVID-19. But um, he and I are sitting in a pink Cadillac in Graceland in a, in a cafe drinking coffee. And I'm talking to him about my job and how I don't feel, feel, for, feel fulfilled and I don't really see a path forward where I currently am. And he's telling me, it's like, look, I, I've seen your stuff. You have a lot of potential. You know, you can do a lot of things. And it's like you need to put yourself out there and believe in yourself. And then I, gosh, it was maybe a year later when uh, I announced that I'm going to work at GLL and I get a call from him. 
And he's like, I am so excited you're going to work there. Like of all the places that I've consulted, like it's one of the places that's doing so much to build up their employees and sort of empower them and stuff. And you are going to really thrive there. I couldn't be happier for you. And like that, it just meant so much like coming from a mentor and in the same way, like I've had a couple of mentees, uh, one at St. Jude, who was not a data person who I sort of, you know, I was making a dashboard for him for work and he thought it was really cool. And I'm like, well, why don't we take some time every week and, you know, I'll show you how I do this and you can try doing it yourself. You know, you can download Tableau Public and start. And then a couple of years later, he's like the Tableau admin and, you know, someone, yeah, I'm like, holy cow. Like, uh, I was was like, so happy for him. I'm like, like, like you did this, man. Like you, you believed in yourself and, you know, you took the baby steps and, and you did it. Like sometimes it's, it's not like, it's not like the other person gets credit for you doing something. It's sometimes that you need someone to tell you, like, you know, that you can do this, right? You're like, yeah, yeah I guess yeah. I can. That matters a lot. Just like that sentence or that, like, you know, you got this or, you know, you can do it. Like just that, that confidence that someone gives you, um, is really key especially in those moments we all have self-doubt we're all like man i don't know i don't know how i feel about this like hearing it from someone especially someone that you look up to man it matters a lot and i think i think i for me personally like i remember those moments um especially when i get into like an introspective mode and think about like the path like i remember those moments where people were there like encouraging me before you even see it in yourself so it's awesome and i was really hyping with the jll so i was like oh good for zach man that's dope like it's like let's go like i was super hyped to see you go there I was excited too because it felt like, oh man, like I, I felt like I joined the big leagues, which is silly. I mean, it is another job, right? Like I'm still doing the same kind of stuff. Like uh, although I'm kind of doing it with like newer and and cooler tools than I used to get to. But at the end of the day, like I'm still like building dashboards for people. But also, in a way, I'm getting to work with a lot of people that I had looked up to. And you know, I don't talk to Simon and Beaumont like every day, but when I do, like it's pretty awesome that I get to call yeah. my coworker. You know. Yeah, that's how I feel about uh, Lovelytics. So, you know, people talk about Chantilly and Eric and, you know, other people in the community expect, like, I could Slack them and be like, hey, yo, how's your day? Like, it's just it's just really cool uh, to have that connection. And then as well, learning as well. Like, I pride myself, not I pride, but the biggest thing with Lovelytics, like, I just feel like I work with really smart people. And so knowing that just elevates you as well, because you just want to keep going as a team environment, you just want to build the company up. So it's just, you know, it's a really good atmosphere. And I'm, I'm sure you probably feel the same way at JLL. It feels good to be around people where you feel challenged. It's yes. like if you sort of feel stagnant or like you're doing the same kind of thing over and over, it's really easy to sort of fall out of love with what you do. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you're, you need to love your job. Like jobs are usually most of the time, it's just a job, right? But like, at least you can find a sense of satisfaction in what you've made. At the end of the day, you can take a step back and say, hey, like, I did that to the best of my ability and I'm proud of that. Sometimes you might love your job, but it's like, we've sort of been sold this message. Like you have to love your job. Like do what you love. And it's like, it's not always like that. Like even when we're, we're sort of talking up like where we work and it's like, I do love working at JLL and you love working at Lovelytics. It's like, you know, a lot of days, like, you know, I was kind of drained by those people today. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, it's a job. Like I love my family too. And they make me tired all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Except I can't quit them. Yeah, exactly. No, you can't do that at all. Um, to that point with with the challenge and people making greater, that's always been my mentality uh, with certifications. I'm going to talk about that earlier when we talk about certs, but 
to me, it's just a test, right? It's, it's a knowledge test that you're taking in that moment that you're proficient because you answered some questions, right? Put someone in real world experience, all the certifications don't matter if you can solve a use case in that moment, right? If you feel the pressure, you know, you have to figure it out. But for me, it's, it's, that's always, the certification has just always been a challenge. I always love the process of getting to the point of certification because I learned so much in the process of figuring out the tool and the questions and everything. And, you know, how much do I know? How much don't I know? How much effort do I need to put into it? Like, I love that journey more than the actual pass fail itself um, for me. So that's, that's always one thing that I always take from it, the certification route. You know, it's, it's so funny, the stuff you learn about yourself through sort of practice work, like what we do, because yeah. this isn't like, you know, finance where like, once you learn finance, the fundamentals of finance stay the same. It's like for us, our field is constantly evolving. So not only do you have to continually learn new methodologies for expressing ideas, but how would you even do that using your tools? But it's like, yeah. I've, I've learned from myself, um, having changed jobs and coming to JLL that my biggest skill is not even data visualization. My biggest skill is understanding people and how to sort of, you know, communicate like, I mean, yeah. which is what data visualization is. But a lot of times, you know, you're conducting that meeting and by, might be with a client, might be with a huge client. And, you know, you're put on the spot with that question and sort of the, the professional maturity to be able to say in that moment, like instead of freaking out, like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's like yeah. it's like, oh, let me get back to you on that. It's like yeah. it's like as as you gain confidence in your ability, you'll understand I'm not always going to be able to answer everything. Yeah. And that's okay because no one expects me to be able to answer everything. They everyone kind of expects me to eventually be able to provide some kind of answer, but you don't have to know everything on earth on the fly. And like becoming a, you know, a tableau visionary or Zen master or whatever, like one of the big fears of when you get tapped for that is like. Oh crap. Now everyone thinks I know everything, but that professional maturity is like that. No one thinks I know everything, yeah. including, <laughs> and probably especially Tableau. Like they show, they pick me for this because I'm pretty good at a couple things and I'm a pretty decent example of that. I I'm very supportive of other, other people and generally a cheerleader. And that's a great re <laughs> that's a great reason for me to be doing this, but it's like, there are other people, they pick those because they are incredible tip people that write yeah. incredibly detailed blogs that elevate other people. So it's like no one person has it all. And understanding mm -hmm. that you can't be that is, is sort of like part of, I guess, growing up professionally. Yeah. That was one of the biggest learning curves that I had definitely professionally. Um, then as I elevated, it was like that mentality of I have to know it all. Like, and I can't say I don't know it. Like, oh my God, like, and it's internal pressure, right? It's internal, like I, you know, people view me as this. And so therefore I should know it. But as at a point, like you have to be like, yo, I don't know this. I need help. And have to communicate it in a way that people also feel confident that you can find the answer. I think if you just flat out just like, yeah, I don't know this and I don't know how to do it, and we're not gonna do it. Like you lose confidence, but if you could articulate it in a way, you know, um, let me look back on it. Let me talk to a teammate or let's see if we can figure this out. If you can express it and then put the work in behind to find that answer. I think that's really key. And that's a definitely a lesson that I've learned um, just to be like, and you say so much more time. Okay, you just say on the fly, like, I just I don't know it, but it, let me research it. Um, it just helps out and makes everybody happier. You know, I had a boss earlier in my career that said two things that stuck with me, one that was positive and one that was negative. The negative thing was, I don't find you very interesting and people that aren't interesting don't go very far. And wow. that stuck with me for years. Like that was, a, it was like, 
you know, this burden heaped on my back as sort of a young IT developer. Well, I'm just like, well, what do I do? That? You know, it's like, that doesn't wow. give you anything to do with it. It's more of just a, this is a burden. But the thing he told me that was good that I've not only have I used ever since then, but I've, I've come to a new understanding of it. He said, bad news should travel fast. And his, his philosophy behind that is if you've got a problem, call for help right away. And then the problem gets solved and then you can move on instead of you have a problem. You, you're trying to handle it quietly because you're embarrassed. It gets yeah. worse. Things start spiraling out of control. And by the time you ask for help, it's an uncontrollable mess. Well, I mean, bad news travels fast comes down to that, that question being asked of you of a client in a meeting where the deal's on the line. You know, it's like rather than, you know, sort of trying to bluff your way through it, you know, saying, you know, I can get you an answer for that. Let me respond in an email to this or something like that. Yeah. You know, there, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And sort of coming to those understandings, you know, you know, help, help you grow. And uh, yeah, definitely. But I also think you got to be put in those situations as well to feel it. Like if you're, if you're not willing to put yourself in those situations, you won't know how to respond. And um, I I definitely think that's key as well. Cause like you said, a job is a job. You can sit back and, you know, do data biz and reports, but if you're not presenting, you're not talking to the client, you're not putting yourself out there. You're not going to understand the responses that are needed or understand, you know, the pressure in the moment, just everything that comes along with it, like to order to get this, I won't say maturation, but to, but to get this perspective. You know, it's like the difference, like if you go to watch a children's martial arts class versus the adult class and the children's class, they're learning all the same moves as the adults, but they never take a hit. In yeah. the adult class, they know what it feels like to take a hit. Yeah. And it's like, you might know all the right moves, but the first time like you take like a blow across the nose, you go down hard because yeah. you don't know what you're feeling and how to respond to this. After you've been in those high pressure situations where, I don't know, you accidentally dropped a table in a production database or something like, you know, some, some like a bowel loosening career air ending error that like, yeah. oh no, you know, it's like after you've been through a few of those, you're never going to like it, but you're going to have developed, you know, the techniques to respond yeah. and, and try to uh, repair to the best of your ability. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from the iron Mike Tyson. Um, everybody has a plan <laughs> until they get punched in the mouth. And it's just, you know, you can overthink this. You can think you're prepared or whatever. But that one instance until you you, oh, you just have to figure it out. And until you go through it, you just you just won't know that that is incredibly true. And with that, like, I think we should wrap it up for today. Is there anything you would like to shout out or promote before we finish up? Yeah. Uh, shout out Lovelytics as always. I'm always going to shout out the company. We got some great stuff on our website. Uh, looking forward, if this goes, if this comes out before a Tableau conference, looking forward to meet people. Social media handle, SQL, Seku, S-Q-L-S-E-K-O-U. Uh, I got a YouTube channel where I'm talking about Power BI and Tableau, how to do the exact same thing and solve the exact same use case there. Uh, anything else I want to shout out? Shout out to my wife, Kim. I love you. You're great. Shout out to my daughter, Kinsley. Uh, I love you as well. I think, is there anything else? Yeah, shout out to my mentors I talked about earlier, man. And, and thanks for having me on, Zach. This was fun. Love it. Let's, uh, you know what? Let me know the next time you have a Nashville tug that needs in person speakers. I'll make the trip. Okay, perfect.
Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.